following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters, with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now, here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. Sit down, grab a blanket, and snuggle up with your furry family because it's time for Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care where Dr. Michael Takiwa will discuss everything you need to know to keep your fuzzy friends happy, healthy, and safe. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's ProgressiveVeterinaryCare.com. Here he is now, only on 107.7 The Bronx. Good morning and welcome to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila, and we are now officially in August. And August brings with it humidity, heat, sometimes not heat as we've been experienced here on the Jersey side of the world and sometimes cold, a lot of rain, um, but mostly it's the heat of summer as summer starts to wind down or days become shorter um, and things happen. But in the pet world, this month is Pet Vaccination Awareness Month. And I think it is very prudent that we talk about vaccines. And I wonder if uh, because it is Pet Vaccination Awareness Month that someone wrote an article about some individuals in New York are refusing to get their pets vaccinated um, because of the fear of developing autism. Um, in the article, they interviewed two veterinarians and they showed their... Uh, I, the best way to describe it is they showed their disbelief at the fact that people actually believe pets can get autism from vaccines. In the human world, um, it, my son is on the spectrum and I can guarantee you, as it has been proven scientifically, that the vaccines do not cause autism. Um, and so in this particular case, it blows my mind. It blows my mind because as a medical practitioner, I am afraid of the risk of these pets developing disease and dying. And in some case, some of the diseases can actually spread to us humans. So I think it's prudent to actually talk about vaccines in general. Um, we'll talk about vaccine reactions and the incidence thereof. We'll talk about the controversy of vaccinating your pet in today's world um, and yourself and what the risks and benefits are. Um, but the bottom line is that the last thing that I would want any client to do is read a social media article and take that as verbatim. Um, as we're experiencing in this world, there are many things that are said as the truth that are truly not the truth. Um, and I hope that the incidence of vaccine reactions, that figure will, will help open some eyes on this issue. So let's start with the basics. So why do we vaccinate? Well, whether it's human, or pet, we are vaccinating in the process of preventing and eliminating disease and the spread of the disease. So what a vaccine is in its, its most basic terms, it is a biological product or preparation that is designed to activate 
one's immune system to fight a particular disease. And that biological active ingredient could be a, what we're seeing in the pet world is a killed vaccine where they take a virus, for example, that isn't a dead, non-virulent, can't cause disease, can't spread disease form, and they inoculate it in the body in the hopes of developing antibodies to that and preventing that disease. Or what they have is modified lives where they've taken the virus or biological agent you're trying to vaccinate for and used uh, DNA technologies to eliminate the virulent component or the active component that allows for replication and spread of that virus or disease agent. And they inject that in the body in the hopes to develop a response to that, an immune response to that. Um, so example, I guess we can look at is smallpox in the human world is great. Um, it's through vaccinations that the World Health Organization um, at once reported that smallpox was completely eliminated um, due to vaccines. Um, anyone who's a bit older can uh, remember about polio as being a problem. Um, and we're hearing incidents of some of these diseases simply because of the fact that they're not vaccinated. And I'll talk about that in a little second. Historically, the term vaccine is derived from the words variole vaccinate, um, and it was Edward Jenner back in 1798. Um, he was dealing with cowpox and how it can prevent um, fight against smallpox. And then everyone's familiar with the story about Louis Pasteur and the rabies vaccine, and he followed, uh, he followed Jenner uh, in the late 1800s. So vaccines have been around for a few hundred years and been used effectively. Um, what can be part of the controversy, controversial um, discussion is that um, there are some limitations to the effectiveness of the vaccine, but the limitations are usually due to illness. And so in the pet world, if a pet is ill or a pet has cancer, those are arguably um, legitimate reasons not to vaccinate. Um, if I knew that a pet had a chance of dying because I'm gonna give it a vaccine, I would definitely have the discussion. Well, the discussion has to be is that there is a risk of the pet getting whatever we're vaccinating against for. But usually in cancer patients, usually they're old enough that they've had several vaccines that there is some immunity there. And to when I discuss with the oncologist and the client, we talk about the risks benefits of what's going on. And that's that's a basic need. I think I think that that you as a pet parent as a pet owner need to have a candid discussion with your veterinarian about the pros and cons of vaccinating or not vaccinating. I think another part is, so vaccines can fail if your pet is ill, their immune system is just not completely developed. And, and ill meaning anything from like, um, having feline AIDS, anything from having diabetes, anything um, can affect the immune system and lead to not enough production of the antibodies. One of the number one things that we're seeing, especially in younger pets, and the reason why parvovirus has shown its face recently is that it's the number of boosters or the to develop adequate immunity. And I'll always go back to the story. Um, Peter Chapman is a small animal internal medicine specialist and, and a guest on the show. And his own 
dog. And, and it's a great example of when you say, oh, my pet has had the three boosters, we're good. It's really not how many boosters a dog that is susceptible to get parvovirus, which now is turning out to be many types of, we used to, we used to limit it to um, dogs like Rottweilers and so forth, that what we feel is the best immunity is to vaccinate them till they're at least 16 weeks of age. So how many boosters that's going to be can vary. It could be three, it could be four, it could be a bit more. In some cases, we're actually vaccinating up to 20 weeks or five months of age to make sure that we develop adequate immunity against parvovirus. So Pete's dog was given the vaccines up until I think 16 weeks of age and yet his dog got parvovirus. Now, um, his particular dog could have fallen in that category where the immune system just wasn't bolstered enough and maybe needed that extra booster. Um, but parvovirus affects the GI system and it can be fatal. So it's one of those stories. Um, his particular dog had to spend time at his hospital, at his referral hospital for several days, but but made it and is doing well. But those, those, those are the things that can lead to um, others. I think the quality of the vaccine can lead to its effectiveness uh, and a lot of us in the in the pet world the feline AIDS vaccine we feel is not adequate enough to um, adequately provide immunity to your pet so it depends on things like that but a, a lot of things that cause the loss of the effectiveness of vaccine in, in many cases, it's not getting the right boosters. It's not uncommon for us in the pet world to hear the story that a pet saw the vet for the first time, got the distemper booster once and never went back to the vet again. And I think this is a valid time that we're all fearful of rabies because rabies can lead to neurological signs in your pet, leads to death, and rabies can spread to us through contact. Um, but from a medical standpoint, distemper virus is just as lethal to your pet and at many times the neurological signs mimic what you see with rabies so to say that i'm only going to get rabies and i'm not worried about the distemper vaccine i think is is a true injustice to your pet and your pet really needs to get that vaccine but right now we'll take a break we'll come back and we'll discuss more about vaccines you're listening to your pet matters on 1077 1077 the following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters, with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now, here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 107.7 The Bronx. Welcome back to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. T. Q. And if you're just joining us, we're talking about vaccines because August is Pet Vaccination Awareness Month. Um, we talked about a little bit about what vaccines are. Um, let's talk about how they actually work. So your immune system is designed to detect foreign objects in minute amounts, develop antibodies to them, and then these antibodies will then allow the body to respond to exposure to these nasty things um, and destroy it. 
Um, something to think about from an immune system standpoint is allergies are a hyperimmune response. We have an overproduction of antibodies um, and that leads to the histamine release and, and the allergic signs and symptoms we see. But, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to create antibodies against this and we're trying to bolster our, immu our immune system against a foreign uh, virulent invader. Uh, so to speak, and, and I think it's it's really important that that we do this. I think that the lack of vaccines. There was a in 2008, there was a 64 reported cases in the world of smallpox, and of that, 63 out of the 64 uh, were reported as cases that there was no evidence that these people were ever vaccinated for smallpox. So as far as a vaccine leading to a great immune response and preventing and eradicating disease, I'm all for it. Um, I understand there's many issues about that out there, um, but it is something that you should have a candid discussion with your veterinarian. And we, we also talked about the schedule of vaccines. So, so in order to go back, let's, let's talk about what we do is we'll vaccinate a pet around six, seven weeks of age. And the reason why we pick that age and, and it's really not prudent to vaccinate before that is the pet typically still has some, um, through uh, breastfeeding and so forth, still has some maternal, the mother's antibodies floating around in their system um, to help protect them and keep them alive. And those antibodies start weaning after that time frame. And then it's our turn to help that pet develop immune immunity towards disease process. So that's why that figure's picked. And as I stated in the first segment, I think it's very important to get your number of boosters in, get the right amount of boosters in um, over time, uh, age-related, age-dependent boosters so that in order you can develop some immunity there. Um, so just, just to throw out the controversial figure, I talked about the article that, that showed that a lot of people in the, I think it's the Brooklyn area or New York City, are declining vaccines for their pets because they're fearful of autism. And, you know, in today's day and age, I, I, I find it ironic that we have to talk about science. We have to talk about the, the validity of scientific research and studies that indicate that vaccines and autism in the human world, are it's, it's a non-relevant issue. It's a non-issue. Um, and a figure came up during that article about the incidence of vaccine reactions as being uh, 0.4. And, and so... In my due diligence, um, the, the latest research report I could come up with was um, the study done in the Canadian Veterinary Journal, uh, and it is in collaboration with NIH and so forth, and they, had, they broke down dog and cat vaccines incidents, um, and they did them per 10,000 uh, doses um, administered. And so of the worst, so reactions can be normal, reactions can be abnormal, Reactions can be life-threatening. Um, and I'm not gonna, you notice I didn't use the word vaccine, I used the word to anything. I think reactions to anything. And, and we see some reactions in pets that people jump on the vaccine, but it could be anything. I think that uh, one thing that we're noticing as a trend in is that the number of vaccines given at an exam can determine if there's gonna be a reaction or not. And so that's why when you go to your veterinarian, they're gonna go, we're only gonna give X amount of vaccines today. There's a reason for that. Um, it's not like they don't wanna get everything done and, and all is well. I'll, I'll be honest with you, we do 
two maximum three vaccines if they're a large pet and the third one usually is a non-injectable form that's what we do at our practice the reason being is we do that because we want to minimize the risk of having vaccine reaction it it leads to more visits to your veterinarian. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you about that, but it's it's always great to do a little exam on a pet before giving a vaccine, just in case they're running a fever or have something else going on. Um, I think it's very valid to do that. Um, but additionally, it is not like we do this because it's, it makes things easier for us. It doesn't. By the time we're done our vaccine series for pets, the schedule is so wacky that it's tough and we struggle at the next visits to make sure that we can arrange that their vaccine schedule um, minimizes the number of follow-up visits in the future for that pet. So it's not something that we, we, we do because we, we like doing it. It's something because it's best for the medical benefit of your pet. Um, so let's go back to the uh, types of reactions. So it's not uncommon for the pet to be sore in that injection site. We've all been sore in injection site. Last time I got the flu vaccine, I was sore. Um, you could have a mild fever, you could have swelling. Um, we give the vaccine under the skin, so it creates a little bleb and that little bleb should go away over time. Um, depending on, on what happens in the old days where they used to give rabies vaccines, they used to put it in the muscle. And if you, if you're, if you're, you had a dog from way back when, you'd wonder why your dog couldn't walk. It's because the vaccine was given in the muscle. But now we do them subcutaneously. We do them orally. Um, we do them intranasally. And, and the, the upper respiratory vaccines that are given in the nose can lead to a little bit of sneezing or coughing a couple days after. But it is not uncommon to be a little sore in the injection site. You may spike a little fever maybe a little inappetent. Those are normal, but those go away. They typically go away within a, a one day period. If by chance your pet has a reaction, and I'll get into the figure of incidence reactions, um, they can become way more lethargic, they can vomit, they can have diarrhea, they can be really painful. In those cases, those are situations where you need to come in, you need to talk to your veterinarian and, and go from there. So how often does this happen? Well. It's, it's much lower than you think. Um, of 10,000 vaccines um, administered, your worst risk, which is your severe allergic or anaphylactic reaction, so anyone who has children allergic to peanuts or anyone who's experienced um, bee sting anaphylaxis, those are the worst because those are incredibly life-threatening. They, they occur very quickly. I've seen anaphylactic reactions occur within 15 minutes of administration. Um, the instance of that in dogs is 0.3 um, cases per 10,000. In cats, it's 0.0. Two, according to the study. Um, so it, it depends on the vaccine given as well. I think that's the highest I can find there. So it's quite low. Um, I think what is lost in translation is a mild reaction or a localized reaction is considered the worst reaction and then reported therefore by your friends in social media. So the incidence is very low. And so that brings up the point that we have to weigh as the medical profession, we have to weigh, for example, rabies. If your pet gets rabies, it is a death sentence. If your pet gets rabies, that means everyone who came in contact to rabies has to be checked, maybe vaccinated. It's a life-threatening issue for you and yours, you and yours being your human um, members of your family, um, and it is completely preventable by vaccine. So you have to weigh the risk. Does my pet go outside? Does my pet tangle with any um, or potentially tangle with any outside critters? Um, and is there a risk of an outside critter tangling with my pet? 
if they go outside versus not vaccinating versus the risk of having an incidence of um, a re reaction that is the worst reaction in a, in a dog would be 0.3 of 10,000. So it's quite low. Um, there's many disease processes that are higher incident to get just by just by chance. Um, cancer being one of them. Um, so so those are the those are the things that you have to weigh as a pet parent about what to do. And I think it's important to vaccinate. And what we'll do, we'll take a short break. But what I'll, what I'll talk about is the is, is how many boosters you need and and titers and everything like that after this break. So tune in and stay tuned. You're listening to Your Pet Matters on 1077, 1077thebronc.com. Every weekend, you'll find a project to get involved with. And sometimes, it'll include your scaly or furry partner in crime. From Your Pet Matters with Dr. T, it's time for Producer's Pet Project. Your go-to for pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and overall helpful tips and tricks to keep your best friend happy and healthy. Producer's Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Hello everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer Wade Buchanan, and today I kind of want to mix uh, two aspects of my life together with the show. Um, so when I, I study at Ryder obviously, but um, my, um, my major is popular music studies. And what that means is that it takes all certain aspects of music, so um, audio engineering, music production, songwriting, all of that. And uh, with uh, me doing this show, I also crossed my mind saying, how do animals react to music? How do uh, maybe some of our furry friends comprehend the tunes that we listen to every day? So I did some research and I found a few facts on how animals react to music. So I would like to share a few of them. Uh, one is dogs and kennels might be less stressed while listening to classical music. In a 2012 study published in the Journal of Veterinary Behavior, the researchers from Colorado State University monitored the behavior of 117 kennel dogs, including their activity level, vocalization, and body shaking. The researchers played a few different types of music to the dogs, including classical, heavy metal, and an altered type of classical music. They also observed the dog's behavior when no music was playing at all. They found that the dog slept the most while listening to all kinds of classical music, indicating that it helped them relax. The dogs had the opposite reaction to the metal music, which provoked increased body shaking, a sign of nervousness. The researchers noticed the similarities between dogs and people when it comes to classical music. These results are consistent with human studies, which have suggested that music can re reduce agitation promote sleep, improve mood, and lower stress and anxiety. They also point out that heavy metal music has anxiety-inducing effects on people as well. Number two is that cats don't care about human music, but scientists are able to create music that they do enjoy. Cats either don't care for or are pretty indifferent to human music. Thankfully, Charles Snowden, a psychologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, David T., a composer at the University of Maryland, and Megan Savage, formerly of the University of Wisconsin-Madison and now a PhD study student, I'm sorry, at SUNY Binghamton. 
have developed music that contains frequencies and tempos similar to the ones cats use to communicate. We tested some of the songs on one of our editor's cats earlier this year, and it showed to work quite well. When the researchers played the latter, the cat was more likely to move towards the speaker or even rub up against it, according to the study, which was published in the journal Applied Animal Behavior Science earlier this year. Interestingly, young and old cats reacted to the cat songs the most positively. Middle-aged cats showed more indifference. Number three is that it is also possible to make monkey music. Cats weren't the first animals Snowden, Savage, and T made species-specific music for. In 2009, they developed songs that mirrored the pitch of monkey calls. For their study, which was published in the journal Biology Letters, the scientists played the music for tamarind monkeys, songs that were inspired by the calming calls that animals make caused the monkeys to relax. They even ate more while listening to those songs. But when the researchers played the music that contained sounds similar to one the monkeys make when they're expressing fear, the monkeys became agitated. The monkeys were mostly indifferent to human music. Their behavior didn't noticeably change when they were listening to Nine Inch Nails, Tool, or Samuel Barber. But interestingly, when they heard of, Olf, of Wolf and Man by Metallica, they grew calmer. And number four, cows produce more milk while listening to relaxing music. In 2001, researchers at the University of Leicester played various songs to 1,000 strong herds of Frisian dairy cows. Over a period of nine weeks, the researchers alternated between fast music, slow music, and silence for 12 hours each day. They found that calming music, like REMs, hurts everybody, everybody hurts, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water, and Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony actually resulted in the cows producing 3% more milk, 0.73 liters per cow per day. One of the lead researchers, Dr. Adrian North, told the BBC, calming music can improve milk, e milk yield, probably because it reduces stress. The cows were not so into Space Cowboy by Jim Roquai or Size of a Cow by Wonderstuff. Um, that's all the time I have for this episode, but tune in next week where I can give you more tips, tricks, and overall interesting facts to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Back then, until then, back to Dr. T and Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and I will see you all in the next one. Stay safe, everybody. That was today's segment of Producer's Pet Project. Your one stop for all things pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and more. Be sure to tune in next time. And for a more in-depth conversation, listen to Your Pet Matters with Dr. T every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Producer's Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Only on 1077 The Bronx. The following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now, 
Here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 1077 The Bronx. You're listening to Your Pet Matters on 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila, and today, because August is Pet Vaccination Awareness Month, we are talking about vaccines. I, I think it's a good time to talk about, well, what sort of vaccines are recommended for your pets? And everyone is familiar with rabies vaccines. Everyone is familiar with this temper. Uh, this temper also uh, includes the dreaded parvovirus as that combo distemper vaccine. Um, and that uh, is something that that's dog vaccine so we'll go through dogs for it's so a rabies distemper um, leptospirosis it's something that is spread through wildlife through the urine and any dog that's outside and some dogs that aren't all they have to do is go outside and have exposure to that and they can get it and that can be spread to us it affects their kidney and liver it can be life-threatening spreads to us um, Rabies, distemper, lepto, your upper respiratory vac vaccines are your influenza. There's two strains now, H3N8, H3N2. You have your Bordetella vaccine. You have your Lyme vaccine. So those are the, uh, uh, the vaccines that we recommend for dogs um, and in my neck of the woods Lyme is everywhere um, Lyme vaccine is recommended for cats it's rabies it's distemper um, feline leukemia for those cats that are indoor outdoor cats or exposed indoor outdoor cats and as I stated in an early segment the feline AIDS vaccine does exist um, I'm not a fan of it many of my colleagues are not a fan of it um, for its effectiveness so it's one of those things that's difficult I hope they make up a, a good vaccine and as an offshoot people I think the Lyme vaccine if you read the article um, about the true history of the Lyme vaccine for humans um, we actually may get one coming out in the future. Um, it's one of those stories that um, due to, as I touched upon the very beginning of the show, is that my concern about people reading what they see online and, and the truth and whatever, the, the, the history of the Lyme vaccine, something you should read about, something that's relevant. I think anyone in my listening area should definitely read about it and think about it. Um, but those are the recommended vaccines. And so um, when your pet is young, they're gonna be recommended that you get X number of boosters for particular vaccines. There are vaccines that do very well with a what we call one-shot deal and they have adequate immunity. There are other vaccines that require your immune system to be primed and pumped and so they develop adequate immunity. Remember, we are doing things to enable your immune system to bolster a response to a foreign invader. It's funny how I'm using these types of uh, terminology and the foreign invader being a disease process. So it's very important that you get the right number of boosters. Um, our, our biggest fear in this medical profession, the veterinary medical profession, is when a pet comes in, I touched on this before, only having one, for example, only having one parvo vaccine in their entire life. They're at incredibly high risk of getting parvo virus. Now let's talk about the controversy and I think it comes in the form of titers and it comes in the form of how long does a vaccine last? Well, 
we follow the um, American Animal Hospital Association guidelines for vaccines. We follow the AVMA, our American Veterinary Medical Association guidelines for vaccines. And currently, there are particular vaccines that last X amount of time, and there are vaccines that you have to booster every year. And, and the best story I like telling is uh, I, I did have a client who demanded titers for leptospirosis. So we did titers on this dog. Um, his name was Luke. And the titer started the value started weaning and I'm going to use that term value because I'll talk about titers in a bit the value started weaning after 18 months so it indicated to me if we're going to use this as a figure of protective immunity that that vaccine only lasts 18 months so we have to booster them every 18 months we did this for four I think we did four boosters in his life so it, it was it was a study end of one which really sucks as a as a data figure for a study but it was a study nonetheless that indicated to me that yes some vaccines are definitely good for only a year um, our stu current studies indicate that rabies we all agree is is good up to three years in immunity um, and same with the distemper we're doing that I think that what you have to be patient about as pet owners is that um, in order to scientifically prove that a vaccine's immunity lasts longer would be to do studies on that. And I'm hoping that studies are underway, but until studies are underway and that there's, there's adequate proof that a distemper lasts seven years, I think you are taking a chance if you're gonna say your pet's um, immune um, protected from distemper. You're taking a chance. And so again, I'm gonna go back to my statement, talk to your veterinarian, talk about the pros and cons. And titers, so we do use titers. We use titers for rabies vaccines to, to indicate adequate um, immunity for travel outside of uh, the country. In other countries, the titer is used. But titer only rep represents the antibody immunity. And there's another component of immunity called cell mediated. And there's, unless you're in a huge lab setting and you have the equipment, it's very tough if not impossible to measure on a regular day-to-day -day basis so so titers have a value I think right now there's a lot of companies making great money off titers titers do cost more to get um, done in a lab setting um, even those home kit titers you know what is the accuracy and and what truly what does it show you is is the question that a lot of the science community is asking about titers um, so they do exist they are an option um, you know, in, in essence, but if your pet doesn't show adequate immunity, are you willing to vaccinate? I think taking a stance about not vaccinating is not good. I think taking a tighter stance is, is, a, is a valid discussion and a valid a way to go down things, but um, what, will the, what does the actual titer show you and what are you gonna do with that figure if it turns out to be not the way you want it to be? Um, those are questions you have to talk to your veterinarian about, but, but you know, I, I think that what is blown out of proportion the number of incidents of, of vaccines and vaccine reactions now having said that let me go on my own personal soapbox that uh, there are there are some vaccine uh, manufacturers out there that i'm not you know um, incredibly thrilled with i think some have a history of having great responses to um, or lack of vaccine reactions i think some don't have a great history and uh, i think you're gonna get every veterinarian under the sun having a different view on things um, Clearly, the cost of some vaccines are cheaper than others, and that may drive that decision to do things. Um, but in my personal experience, every time I've tried to, to take an approach where I bought a cheaper vaccine, it's always nipped me in the butt. Um, there are some vaccines out there that actually are cheap, that are really good, they've just been around so long, and they're just 
just so well made. And I think the, the rabies vaccine you get at your township is an incredible, incredible vaccine. And I think there, there's not a veterinarian who says, oh yeah, I'm, I have no hesitation giving that. I think that when you start to get these new vaccines coming out or variations on them, I think there's problematic things going on. Um, so that's my own personal soapbox on vaccines. Do I believe in vaccines? Absolutely. Do I believe they cause autism? No, it's been proven. Um, do I believe you can have a vaccine reaction? Yes, but let me go back to reactions. So some reactions in pets occur, nothing to do with the vaccine, everything to do with the pet. Um, some vaccine reactions, some reactions occur that have nothing to do with the vaccine, but have to do with something else that was, was the pet was exposed to. There's a lot of possibilities there. So. You can't always link it to a vaccine reaction. Um, one of one of our clients, the, the dog had a mild uh, reaction to a vaccine, but how they were treated by the animal hospital, totally, it, it was a bad treatment by the animal hospital, both from a customer service and a medical standpoint, and that totally changed their views on vaccines in general. So those are outside influences that can lead to problematic things in the future. But the bottom line is vaccinate your pet. The other thing is that some types of pets, and it's our fault as humans for breeding, are more prone to get reactions to vaccines. But but some pets aren't, and we're getting breeders saying, hey, don't get, give this vaccine, and I don't even know where some of these breeders got some of this information about that, but um, it's it's something that you have to talk to your veterinarian about. I think that, that they would know best about you know what the incidence is, et cetera. Um, having said all this, if by chance a pet has a vaccine, there are ways that if it's a mild reaction, we could actually still administer the vaccine given the pros and cons of giving that vaccine and give what we call pre-med of um, anti-allergy injectable, et cetera, to do things. So those are options available to you. If there is proven that there is an adverse reaction to a vaccine, or as I said before, your pet is ill or has cancer, then those are valid reasons not to vaccinate. You still have to weigh the risk of being exposed to that, that um, disease and, and having issues with it, but it's a valid discussion to have with your, with your veterinarian. The most important thing I want you to do, people, pet parents out there, remember, love your pet like they love you unconditionally. Have a great day. That was Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care. You can tune in right here every Saturday at 10 a.m. Or to hear more right now, you can go to 1077thebronc.com slash yourpetmatters, where you can download past episodes as podcasts on your favorite platform like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's progressiveveterinarycare.com. We'll see you next time, only on 1077 The Bronx.